Don't be afraid. I am your shield. I am your very great reward. I'm going to look at the word believe today, and we're going to mainly focus on one word, one verse, excuse me, from this early fourth chapter of Romans. We'll get to that in a moment. And let's talk about what belief is. To, to believe God has to go well beyond simple mental decision or a factual agreement. Belief touches life, engages life, changes life. The trajectory of your life is driven by your belief structure. Our deepest and truest beliefs are revealed in our attitudes, our choices, our words, and our actions. Saying, I believe, is at best nothing more than a starting point, an important one. But belief is not, belief that is not accompanied by action is empty words. James talks about that, faith without deeds, in, in the, the letter that James wrote in our New Testament. So the question I have is, what does your life reveal about your beliefs? What emerges from you? Your identity, the person that you are, that reveals, hopefully, Jesus Christ. The way of Jesus, the walk of, of Christ in your life. Or perhaps there's other things that are revealed that you don't want to be revealed, but you're still not having success in, in allowing the, the lordship of Jesus Christ to help you overcome and remove those parts of your life. So belief is more than just saying, I believe you, Jesus. It needs to be followed with action. And that's what we're going to see today as we look at someone named Abraham. Why Abraham? Well, in this chapter, it says to, um, what should we say then, that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter, and, and it boils down to this one verse, which is found in um, Genesis chapter 15, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And that's going to be the main focus this morning. The, the rest of this passage, the first 12 verses of chapter 4, goes down the similar theme that we've seen before in Romans, where there is this division in the church in Rome between believers in Jesus who grew up, were trained as Jews, and believers in Jesus who were Gentiles and came out of the the whole Greek world and the Greek culture for the most part. They were united in their faith in Jesus, the one who God has sent, the one who died and rose again, and, take, and they believed in that message themselves, but there was division and, and discord and tension and friction between these two groups in the church. So Paul is stressing to them, Again and again in this letter, you have to come together, and here's why, and here's all the reasons why. And in this chapter, he's identifying this, this faith that Abraham had, this belief that Abraham had, and it came before he was circumcised, but God also brought that into the, his people that would be his people as a sign of the covenant. So Abraham is the father of all who believe, as he stresses here in the fourth chapter. 
But I want to focus specifically on this third verse when he quotes from Genesis 15 and what was going on in the life of Abraham at that time. This story you can find beginning in the 12th chapter of Genesis, and we're going to look briefly at, at several of these passages, because if God credited his belief as righteousness, what was the essence of that belief in Abraham that, that we can be inspired by, that we can emulate in our lives as well because we're believing in the same God? Abraham didn't yet have the faith in Jesus that we do have except to look forward to someday when God would send him, but we still have the same faith in God the Father who sent Jesus. So let's look at Abraham this morning. God's new identity for Abram or Abraham, same person. There was a, a slight change in his name later on. So when we begin in the 12th chapter of Genesis, you'll see him identified as Abram. But what was his new identity? You may be familiar with this passage, and you can turn to your Bibles to, to Genesis 12. And in this is what it might say in your subheading in your Bible. It does here in the NIV, the call of Abram. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This is the call of Abraham, the, the, the father of the Jewish people, but also our father in the sense of faith. If you're not Jewish, it is the father of us all in the sense of faith. Abram lived in a place that, um, in, in Ur, which was, a lot of archaeological scholars believe, it was, it was a place that was sort of a hotbed of spiritual thinking and various religious expressions. And so it wasn't odd that someone would um, you know, claim to have some kind of a, of a message from God. But what was odd is that this message that Abram received was a message to get up and go, to leave. People didn't do that then. It wasn't safe, for one thing, and to have the means to do it. Now, he did, but still, it would be, which, which is all the more reason not to go. If, if you have a lot to lose, you're not going to pick up everything and travel where it's dangerous and you could, you could be attacked you know, just a few towns away, a few miles away, potentially. And yet, Abram responded to God's call to let go of these things, to leave country people and his father's household. Now, when you think about it, how much of our identity is built on those structures even today. We are Americans, citizens of the United States of America, and that's a good thing. We should be rightly proud of that, but that's not all that we are. We are a people. We have various ethnicities within our nation. We have people here from the Poconos or you know, wherever you're from originally that has formed and shaped your your personality in various ways. But that's not all that you are. 
You have your own family, your father's household, and your, your upbringing, the influence of that. And that has affected who you are. But even that is not everything that you are. Jesus picks up on that when he says something that sounds on the surface, you know, very strange and almost out of character when he says, if you don't hate your father or your mother or your brother or sister, you can't follow me. And he didn't mean hate literally in the sense of reject them. He meant if you put even the closest people in your lives ahead of God, then you're not really following God. You are basically replacing God with mother, father, husband, wife, parent, brother, sister, friend, whoever it is. That person, as special as they are, and as much as we rightly need to love those around us, certainly in our family and our friendships, to have a way of love, but any person that gets between you and God, you are basically putting them in God's place. And so all of these ways we need to let go of for the sake of God. He may not ask you to get up and leave from your home to go somewhere else. Many he has. As a pastor, I don't live in my hometown anymore, but many people leave their hometown for other jobs, so it wasn't that big a deal. They're part of Pennsylvania. You know, I've been up and down um, eastern Pennsylvania for most of my life from the Lehigh Valley to suburban Philadelphia to the Poconos, so I have it almost all covered. Um, but it's not as big as getting up and leaving to a different nation, a different culture, as, as many missionaries do. So this is what he's asking them to leave. It's his, his whole identity, his whole security structure, and to become this. This is the promise. A great nation, your ancestors, your your children's and children's children and right on down the line will be, will be blessed. And not only will they be blessed, but all people will be blessed through you. But that middle one there in the bottom, a great name. You will have a great name. Isn't that what we seek out in some ways? Not in an arrogant kind of way, not like in self-centered necessarily, but just that we want to know that our life matters and the contribution that we make day in and day out, uh, whatever it might be, through, through our employment, through our volunteering in, in organizations, through uh, our participation in the church. And in, in a lot of different ways, we develop an identity and, and we want to make a difference. And so what do people think of when they hear your name? Is that a positive thought for them? Hopefully it is with most of the people in our lives. They smile when they see you. They're glad to see you. We want to uphold a good name. This is what God gave to Abraham. And this is what God wants to give to all of us. To have the basis and the center of our good name reflecting Jesus. In fact, I would say that's the best name to have. That, that, that people... See, Jesus in me is my heart's desire, is what I want the most. And not that I'm looking for the credit. I want the credit of whatever I do, whatever goodness comes through this person that you see standing before you today. I want that honor and glory to go to God, to go to Christ who lives in me. 
So God's new identity for Abraham is, is to leave the, those things and to become that. And then the evidence that Abraham believed God. So it's one thing to have a sense that God is calling you. You're going to get up and go. You're going to do this. But the next thing is you actually have to do it. And here's where belief is more than just thinking. Yeah, God is up there. I believe that. That's enough. Well, is it? What does Abram do? God said, go, and he went. Verses 4 through 9, we can see that in chapter 12 of Genesis. He went. He did what God asked him to do. He didn't know where he was going exactly. He kind of gave him a direction. He didn't know what was going to happen specifically, just this promise, this promise to an old man, at least the way we would think of it, and even then he was 75, and he doesn't have any children. Now you're going to have children. You're going to be a great nation, and you know through your, your ancestors, through your bloodline, and yet he doesn't have a child yet, but he still believes, and he acts upon that belief by, okay, this is step one. I have to go. I have to pick up everything and leave. Later on, he gets into Egypt because of a famine, and that's a, that's a kind of a weird story. There's a lot of weird stories in Genesis. This is why it's such a fascinating book. But he goes to Egypt, and something happens there, and he's kind of dismissed in not so good a way because of some, a way that he deceived the Pharaoh, and yet the Pharaoh gives him a lot of things when he goes. So he, in effect, he goes to Egypt and leaves Egypt, and he became richer, and he had more possessions and, and more things. And then accompanying him on his journey is Lot. And... Um, now, Lot also was able to amass some, a lot of possessions. Your, your riches were largely based upon the flocks and herds you had in this culture. And Lot had a lot of those. It's his nephew. And you get the sense that Lot is almost like a son to him. Because apparently Lot's father, perhaps his father died, um, didn't care about him, we don't know, but he's with Abram. And so they are traveling together, working together, and they're both being blessed in the sense of having more flocks and herds and servants and all the things that went with it. But eventually there was too much, too many flocks and herds for both of them, and there was fighting going on between their servants, and we're watching the flocks about the water and about the grazing and, and all those, those other aspects of taking care of so many animals. So... Abram wisely said to him, look, you look around the whole land and whatever direction you pick, I'll go the opposite way so we can be at peace with one another, which was a wise decision. He gave Lot the choice to do that, and Lot did. And Lot ends up near a place called Sodom, and Abram goes in a different direction. And God blesses him for that. Um, and at, in chapter 13 at verse 8, it says this, so Abraham said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go left, I'll, I'll go right. If you go right, I'll go to the left. And that's what happened. There was wisdom there in that man's decision, and God honored that decision. After a time, Lot basically got swept into a war. It's kind of a confusing story, and I, I won't kind of pick through the details here. 
in the 14th chapter, there were several cities that were at war with each other, and they formed alliances. So there was, you know, these, these four cities against those five cities. Each city had a king. For the most part, with the exception of Egypt at this time in the world, there weren't countries the way we think of them today. There was mostly city-states. So each city was its own country, in effect. So, you know, to, to transpose that into modern-day Poconos, so Tannersville would be its own country, <laughs> and Stroudsburg would be its own country, and East Stroudsburg, and they have that river between them, so they're, you know, that creek to, to make sure they, they stay on their own side, you know. Um, now, there was still some interaction and trading between them, but every city had, was a country. Well, these towns all got into a war. And Lot, who lived in Sodom, was swept into it. The city of Sodom was taken captive, and the people in the city were taken captive. Lot was among those people. Abram heard about that. Abram had soldiers as part of his whole entourage, and he sent the soldiers into this battle. And you get the sense when you read the story, Abram shifted the battle. His his presence, his wisdom, his tactics perhaps militarily brought that battle to a better conclusion and he, what he wanted, he rescued his nephew. He rescued Lot. After that was over, the king of Sodom wanted to thank him. Wanted to thank him in a very tangible kind of way. Now it already told us in scripture that the city of Sodom was very corrupt and very evil. And, of course, you can read about that a few chapters more. And that's where Lot was living, unfortunately. But when the, the king wanted to, to thank him, Abram refused. And let's go to the 14th chapter now, the 21st verse. <clears throat> the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the people and keep the goods for yourselves. Every time there was a war in that time, you, if there was people, there was possessions, the winning team got everything, okay? Including the people, they could enslave them. That's just the way it was. So, but Abram said to the king of Sodom, with raised hand I have sworn an oath to the Lord, God most high, creator of heaven and earth, that I will accept nothing belonging to you even a thread or a strap or sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten and share the belongings to the men who went with, with me, to Anor, Eschol, Mamre. Let them have their share. And that was it. Now you get the sense that Abram's taking a stand against really against evil. He didn't go to Sodom's aid because he liked the people of Sodom or in somehow agreed with the way they were living and what they were doing. He went into this battle to get Lot out. And that was his goal, and that was accomplished. And he knew that to participate with anything that that city was doing was not honoring the God that called him. And so he refused this, what would have been a normal action, a, a, 
an act of gratitude upon the, from the king of Sodom for participating in this battle and turning it in their favor, now you're refusing his kindness. So now it turns into an insult. Now, not just the king of Sodom, but the other armies might look at this man, Abram, and say, well, who does he think he is? And it could easily have all turned and backfired onto him. And this is a very key point in, in the story. At this point, Abram still has no son. He's been called by God. He's, going to be, he's blessed and turned into a great nation. Though he has amassed riches, he is still vulnerable because he has no home, no city, and has just insulted the very powerful but very corrupt king of Sodom. So what happens next? This all leads up to what Paul is quoting in Romans chapter 4. So we begin at the 15th chapter of Genesis. So when it says, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Don't be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. I am your very great reward. Isn't that a beautiful message from God? Don't be afraid. And this is why scholars believe that, this, that what he did by not accepting what the king of Sodom wanted to give him was an insult and put his life at risk. He had reason to be afraid. And God says, don't be afraid. I am your shield. You don't have to depend on worldly alliances to protect you. I am with you. You don't have to depend upon their reward and what they'll give you and, and the more riches that, that you know, they, they want to cast upon you. I am your great reward. So God is honoring Abram's belief. It was belief that was put into action in all these ways. It's, it's not real clear how much time has passed from the beginning of the 12th chapter where he is first called, and, and there's other stories that happen. It's probably a number of years, maybe, maybe many years, that has gone by. And again, he still hasn't seen the promise in terms of having the son. He still doesn't own much in terms of land. God promised him land that would be his, but that hasn't really happened yet. And think of the level of temptation that this man faced. From a worldly perspective, he was a great victor in a great battle. He could have probably claimed a city for his own and built a city for his own. He could have amassed more and more riches from the world and had the, the, the other kings of the other cities in his region um, maybe not bowing down to him, but, but at least acknowledging him and, and, and wanting to keep in his good graces because this man, he's, he's smart, he's a good king, he's a great leader. We want to give him riches. And if Abram would have backed out of, well, of God's call, then from an earthly perspective or worldly way, we would have, couldn't have blamed him, I guess. God promised you all of this how many years ago? You don't have any son yet. You're not getting any younger. You're already pretty old, Abram. 
Um, you don't really own anything. You're still wandering with, with this whole big troop that you have, and that's great, but you don't have a city. Come on, take all of this. In a sense, it's almost like the temptation that Jesus had from Satan that we read about in the Gospels. You know, just go ahead, take a shortcut. Find another way, Jesus. I can, I'll give you all the riches of the world. Do something here and now that people are going to notice. And then you'll be rewarded by people. All of this, the fact that Abram rejected all of that, is evidence of his faith, his belief, his active belief. He had a heartfelt, deep belief of God's calling in his life, and his actions revealed that depth of that belief. His, he didn't cave in when he had opportunities. Continuing in the second verse then of Genesis 15. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. And I like the fact that this is in there. So here he is maintaining his integrity and his honor in terms of his call to God, but he's also not afraid to, to question God, to ask God. You promised me this, where is it? I'm, I've been loyal to you, God, and I'll continue to, loyalty, to be loyal to you, but this, this is tough, Lord. I'm not seeing what you promised me. Then the word, word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is of your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said, so shall your offspring be. Here's the sixth verse. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. So Paul quotes that verse in, this, in that context, in that part of the story about Abraham's belief that God credited as righteousness. So when we believe in the one that God has sent, when we believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, the, the, the crucified one, the risen one, the one who promised to come again, when we believe that, it's not just an historical fact that I believe happened and say, that's enough. That's a starting point. That's an important starting point. But it needs then to work its way into all of ourselves and, and affect all of our life. <clears throat> Do you believe in God enough to let go of your country, your people, and your family? To let go of whatever it is that makes up your identity, the things that matter to you the most. He may not ask you to actually give up any of those things, but it's, it's the willingness that he wants in all of your life. Do your alliances, and that is your support and security systems in your life, reveal reliance on the ways of God? Abram could have easily been tempted to to give in and to, to trust on these neighboring nations who are now, you know, kissing up to him. 
And yet he didn't turn to them. He continued to turn to God. <clears throat> Do you seek reward, recognition, and honor from people? This is a hard one. I say this is a hard one because part of my personality makeup is that I can be a people pleaser. And, and so, so I want to, to say and act and do things that will keep people happy. And, and as a pastor, that's um, not a good thing. <laughs> I mean, to a certain degree it is. I want to make sure that you guys are feeling good about the church and you know want the church to... Uh, to prosper and do well and do your part, and I want to encourage you in that, and all of you encourage me, especially these last few weeks. Thank you so much for that. But if I base what I do upon getting your kind words, as thankful as I am for them, but if that's my motivation, that the people at St. John's and the people at Bushkill Community are happy with me, then life must be good and they must be pleasing God. No, that's not it. That's not what it's about. And for all of us, we can have temptations to, to put what pleases people in front of what pleases God. Abram gave us such a great example by turning down what the king of Sodom wanted to give to him. He said, that's not the way. And, and he knew that. And he followed through. <clears throat> So I begin, I end with where I began this morning, those verses from the beginning of 15th chapter of Genesis that flow into what Paul quoted in Romans. Don't be afraid. I am your shield. I am your great reward. I hope that's your desire. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And may the example of Abram give us inspiration to stand strong when temptation strikes, when shortcuts seem so easy and right at our disposal, when everyone else is telling us it's okay to compromise. You deserve it. Help us to stand strong with you and the faith in you and the belief in you that that belief which you see as righteousness would grow deeper in all of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.